Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. All right. So this week on the show, I sat down with trail and ultra runner Rod Farbird exactly a week after he finished as the fifth American at this year's UTMB. I've followed Rod's trajectory in the ultra running world pretty closely since meeting him a few years back, and it's been really cool to see him run as an elite at some of our sport's biggest races. In this conversation, we talked about a whole bunch of things, including how his background in triathlon allows him to make a ridiculously high training and racing volume sustainable, what he thought about his first time racing on an international stage, and why he thinks having a day job helps fuel his running. Rod also gave me a rundown of his playlist for UTMB, and I'll just say that if he ever wants to moonlight as a DJ, it's definitely on the table. And before we get into that chat, though, I do want to take a quick minute and encourage you all to check out our Blister membership and all the benefits it offers, including access to all of our flash reviews and deep dives, personalized gear recommendations to help you find the right pair of running shoes, discounts on a bunch of really sweet products we love, and a whole lot more. So check out our Blister membership via the link in the show notes. Okay, let's get right into my conversation with Rod Farvard. Rod, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for having me. So you're what, like a little over a week and a half, a week removed from UTMB? One week, exactly. Yeah. How's uh, recovery going? Recovery's all right. Um, I was really wrecked immediately after. Just, I think all that, all the downhill more than anything, just shredded my quads. But uh, you kind of forced to, to have to walk around a lot after the race, just getting back to the airport and everything. So I think that tremendously helped. I'm not really sore at all anymore. Um, so still trying to play it safe. I'm sure there's some deep fatigue, but I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. How is that type of recovery different from like Western States, which you also ran earlier this year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think Western States, just the the whole like nature of the, the, the race extends like beyond just muscle fatigue for me personally. Like I always get or I've run it twice, I guess, always, <laughs> as in, in both times, I, I had like insane stomach issues. So I feel like the whole recovery process was trying to get my stomach back to normal and actually being able to eat food, which, you know, immediately after wasn't able to eat for a few days, really. And that also slows the, the muscular recovery process. So yeah, I had a, a much better time with my stomach, largely probably because of the heat. And just it not being hot at UTMB. So I I was able to recover a lot faster this time around. Yeah, I also feel like the intensities impact recovery too. Like UTMB, I mean, you're out there for how how long did it take you to run Western States? (laughs) Uh, 22 hours and 45 ish minutes. Okay. (laughs) But for like most of that race, you were like, you were pretty, you're pressing pretty hard. Whereas like UTMB, you're out there for what, like 24 or something like that, a little under 24? Yeah, so this is really funny. Um, just highlighting how bad my Western experience Western experience was, but I went through 100 miles at UTMB an hour faster than I did my Western States time, and I was I was sat at an aid station at all t- at Western States for like three hours. So up until that point, you know, pushing pretty hard, and it was about like 85 miles of really hard running for me at Western, and then just like complete blow up and you know, sitting it out, <laughs> yeah, hiking, hiking a bit. So, um, but yes, you're right. Generally like <laughs> Western state should be a, like, I don't know, upwards of, you know, probably for some people like 10 hours faster than running UTMB. So, yeah. Yeah. I I've talked to some people that have like run it once or twice, like pretty competitively. And they're like, yeah, I've like never been the same. Like it's burned me out because you're just cooking at like such hot temperatures, both in terms of like intensity and obviously like the weather. Uh, I just imagine it like just wreaks havoc on you. Um, Totally. But dude, I didn't, I didn't know you like couldn't eat for like several days after that's wild. Yeah. That that's ultimately what took me out. Um, in the race, I, I think at like, you know, I crossed the river at Rucky Chucky and I started to feel like a little bit of nausea there, but expected, um, and I don't know really what took me over the edge, but that climb up to Green Gate, I like started just uncontrollably vomiting. And then anytime I try to run versus hike those like next few miles, I was just like the most violent, vicious <laughs> vomits of my life, you know, like 
taking every little ounce of me, like hands and knees. I'm just sweating while puking. <laughs> so my gut was just messed up after that race. And it, yeah, I was just not taking anything in post-race. Yeah. Whatsoever. That, that yeah. last like stretch from, from green gate two is like super runnable. And if exactly. you, yeah, if you're stopping a puke, you can't get any momentum going. Yeah. Um, I do want to back up a little bit. Cause I was chatting with you a little bit, um, off air. I don't know too much about you. Um, where did you grow up and how did you kind of get into running? Yeah. Um, I grew up in Moraga, California. So you're in San Francisco, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, just across the Bay in the East Bay. Um, I grew up playing basketball actually. And that was like my, my passion. I thought <laughs> I'd be pretty good at it. I just never grew as a short kid. So I went to high school and I was not good <laughs> whatsoever. Um, but I figured I could at least, you know, try to get onto the teams by being like a good endurance athlete and just, you know, outworking people on the court. So I joined the cross country team my freshman year of high school at Camp Window High School. And it was definitely a eye-opening experience being on that team. I had never, like I, I was on basketball teams obviously, but it wasn't ever like that level of camaraderie that I experienced on the cross country team. So kind of fell in love with, with that aspect of it. I wouldn't say I loved running <laughs> initially whatsoever, but um, yeah, just the, the team and the environment and the coach I had, Chuck Woolridge really like nurtured this like work hard ethic that um, I really bought into. And so I, I ran four years of cross country and track in high school there was okay. You know, like lower end varsity, but um, I never, I don't think I ever ran faster than 17 minutes in the 5k. I never broke. I think I, I went like 10 Oh one in the, in the 3,200. And then like I ran a 435 miles. So like I was very, very average in terms of like, you know, the, the elite, um, high school level running. So, um, I wasn't able to walk on into any programs after that. I went to UCSB for college. I tried to walk on, didn't make it. So then I started running solo for two years in college and I was training for road marathons at the time. The Boston marathon was like what the, you know, I, I figured was the coolest thing in the sport at the time. So, um, and that's definitely like where my skills shined in running. It was definitely like more that, that longer distance type of thing at that higher tempo. So I kind of went all in on that, but I had no training partners and it eventually just got really boring for me. So I joined the triathlon club at UCSB where again, took that kind of like all in work ethic and went really hard into that, you know, tried to teach myself how to swim and everything. And I got like pretty good. I ended up doing like Ironmans and half Ironmans kind of post-college and eventually got like my professional card with triathlon racing, but was a very bad pro <laughs> compared to the rest of the pros. So, and it was just taking up a lot of, a lot of time. And, you know, you kind of got to start work at that time in your life too. So I decided to just start running and that kind of brought me to, to ultra. So it seems like yeah. you're, you're drawn to, to like team sports. Why is that? Like what was, what, what kind of made you, I guess, give up those like two years of solo running in college and like propel you to join a team? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I, I think I just wasn't having fun. You know, it was a grind getting up and getting myself to do it. It was fun initially because I, you know, saw I just jumped to the marathon. Like I was brand new to the marathon. I was like, whoa, this is a really cool thing. And I'm pretty good at it. And then it's like, uh, I don't know. No one's motivating me to do the workouts. Um, I was waking up early so I could, you know, also go into go to class and everything. And it just, it was getting really tough. I also didn't have community whatsoever. Like I felt like an outcast in terms of, you know, all my other college friends that were partying, partying all the time and stuff like that. And I didn't have, you know, someone to convince me telling me that what I was doing was the right way to approach college and, um, you know, be running with my free time instead of also like going to frat parties and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I just needed someone to, to get me. And I feel like I didn't ever really have that my first two years of college. So I actually like found the tri team through Strava one of my now very close friends, I was just a groomsman at his wedding, um, Matthew Perry. I think he commented on one of my activities on Strava. He just saw like I did a run and saw me on a segment or something. And he's like, you should come out to the tri practices. And um, I went to one. I, I had a road bike. I was like kind of into that. But 
um, definitely didn't know what I was doing on the bike or anything. So I went to the bike practice and just had so much fun with it. And just, it was just like goofing around more than anything. And I totally missed that. What was like the time requirement for triathlon training, like in college then, um, as a pro? <laughs> yeah. Some people took it differently. Um, in the end it was a club sport, but it, you know, the, the national level of try in, in college is actually like incredibly competitive. It should you know, a lot of people are opting for it to be NCAA sport instead of a club sport. So, uh, you know, I was definitely on that, that higher end of it and wanting to, to push it at that level. So I was probably training 20 hours a week in college. And then that was for like Olympic distance triathlon. So essentially like a little more or less than half the distance of like half Ironman. So when I jumped to like half Ironman and Ironman distances, I was doing like 30 hours, 30 hours a week. And that was, like after graduating and everything. So yeah. Yeah. Between mm-hmm. the three sports. I'm just curious. Cause like I, I have some friends that, uh, I think they were on the Cal, uh, maybe mm-hmm. not Cal. No, it might've been UCSB actually. Uh, they might've just been a little older than you, the triathlon team down there. And they have also gotten into trail running, just have like insane engines because yeah. of the volume. <laughs> For me, at least, and, you know, I, c- I could have been doing it completely wrong. I just, um, well, I actually right now my coach for ultra is the same coach as my triathlon coach in college. So oh, no that's kind of cool. He, yeah, he's, um, he's just an endurance coach, you know, and he definitely like catered it to what I, I like was having the most fun with. Like he's a huge advocate. And if you're not having fun, like you're not going to succeed, even if it might not be like exactly what you need. Like I definitely need to swim more. But I probably swam five hours a week. I cycled fifteen hours a week and ran ten hours a week. So yeah, I can I can down. see yeah. how that would be hard to also like do with a full time job. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, it it just wasn't feasible whatsoever. And um, you know, there there were probably routes for me to really cut down that training, but still be competitive and try. But um, that's just not really how. I function <laughs> like right. for in my head. Like, I feel like I need a, like, that is my advantage. It's just like being able to outwork someone. I'm not gifted whatsoever. I right. would say it so, goes back yeah. to, to your uh, basketball career. Like you're, you're not the tallest, you're not like seven feet tall. So you just have to outwork everyone. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit how you fell into trail running after figuring out that uh, the whole triathlon life wasn't, wasn't in the cards. Yeah. Uh, my, I would say it, it's kind of hard to say when it started, right? Cause like, you'd always go for trail runs and stuff and you'd be like, this was awesome, but you never really thought it was like a competitive thing to do. We have like some insane mountains in Santa Barbara and awesome trails. So we'd like occasionally go out and pretty early on, like I saw that I was decent at climbing and like, just like kind of naturally understood how to run downhill on technical stuff, which, you know, takes some some time to learn for other people. So that was kind of like my first hint in college. But again, like I thought triathlon was way more prestigious and like, um, you know, what I'd want to be competing in and stuff like that. So I actually ran two 50 Ks in the Bay area in college. Um, did pretty well at both. I, I ran the skyline 50 K familiar with that one oh, yeah. in, in Oakland. Yeah. I think I ran like three twenty eight there just like purely off of, marathon training and stuff like that so that's fast for that yeah yeah it, it was uh it was like just under seven minute pace i think and i thought like that was a big deal but that was like right before i joined the tri team and i totally forgot that that was like a thing i could be good at so <laughs> i kind of dropped that and then um my senior year of college i also did another 50k in the bay the woodside ramble and i think i ran like 340 there or something like that which is pretty good for that course also I did that like after, uh, I crashed my bike and I was like injured for a while. So I wasn't really doing any try training, but again, after that, I started ramping up, try again and totally forgot about trail running. So fast forward, I guess, until I graduated, um, college and I was doing half Ironmans and Ironmans training that much. I like eventually just decided that this wasn't for me. Like, you know, if I wanted to be at the level competing, like trying to get in the top 10 or podiums or any sort of prize money and try, I would need to really like go all in with it. Um, and even if that, I didn't think I had a chance really. 
So I decided to to quit and I just like naturally phased into more running because that was my roots and I loved running. So I was probably running like 15 to 20 hours a week really regularly. And I decided to do this 100K in San Diego. It was called the um, Kuyamaka 100K. And I, yeah, the, the distance was just mind boggling to me, but that just like very much excited me at the time. And I, I went into it like not knowing anything. Um, and yeah, I ended up like running and setting a course record there. And from there I realized like, yeah, yeah I'm pretty gifted at this thing. Like I, I understand how to fuel. I've been, you know, doing massive days on the bike for so, so long. Like I've been out for 10 hours before it's, um, not anything super foreign to me. And that like really, really helped me in my first attempt at the ultra distance. So yeah, from there, I kind of went all in with it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think it is about like cycling that translates well to ultra running? Is it just kind of like the time? Yeah, I think, um, the highs and lows, like uh, cycling in general, or, or like long distance cycling, I guess, like a hundred to 200 miles, like it very much is just feeling at that point. Like, um, and it's the same with, with ultra running. Like, I think first of all, it's just like toughening your mind and being okay with being out for five hours. Um, it doesn't feel long whatsoever. And then, yeah, I think just learning to eat regularly is, is really massive. Um, and that helped me a lot. And then the racing aspects also kind of interesting. Um, I was actually talking to someone else about this. Um, but a lot of cycling ra- racing is, like making moves on climbs and um, trying to like put in digs and like dropping someone really hard when you pass them. So like just working a little extra hard just to demoralize. Right. And I, I've like very much brought that into my racing at, in ultras. Like if I see someone like for generally, like I keep it really steady, but if I see someone and I want to pass and I did this a lot at UTMB in that last 50 K, like anytime I'd see someone struggling on a climb, I would just like turn it up a little bit and then, just wait till I was out of sight before like I, I let it go. And it really just like drives it home and seals it that like they don't have a chance of keeping up with you. <laughs> yeah. This, so, a knockout yeah. punch. Exactly. Um, yeah. I was pacing. I told this story on the, on the show before, but I was uh, pacing Leah Yingling at Western States this year. And every time we would like see a headlamp uh, coming up, she'd be like, all right, we're going to surge by them. I was like, mm-hmm. you're like insane. Like, <laughs> you're 80 miles in and you're thinking about, yeah, what your competition's thinking about. It was really cool. Leah's incredible. She's one of yeah. my heroes, honestly. Yeah. Such a good person. Cool. So why don't we hop into UTMB a little bit? What kind of attracted you to that race? And like, how did you think about that in the context of also running like Western States? Cause they're, you know, as we said at the top of the show, they're like very different races. I, UTMB has always really captivated me since I started ultra running. Um, I just like never, ever knew how to get into the race. And I thought it was just for, <laughs> you know, the elites of the elites. And, you know, I don't, don't really have a chance of doing it. And last year I, I remember, watching like a hundred percent of the live stream almost i it, it was really funny because um i i was probably like a year or less than a year into dating my girlfriend and she like wasn't very familiar with ultra completely so she was just so confused why i was just watching like francois and, and jim just eat for yeah. so long at Cormier and i was just like eating my popcorn just like watching watching yeah. <laughs> we gotta watch this like, yeah. let me tell you yeah exactly but I, I loved it i i um followed that race super closely and i'm like okay i need to i need to get here so i just like looked at, at the performance index and stuff like that and understood how to get in and i remember like listening to devo talk about this is the last way you could get in the old way so i'm like okay whoa maybe I should check if I could get in. And I had like three points over the, the allotted number of points for you to get in without lottery. So I'm like, Oh shit. Okay. I need to sign up for this. I was like skeptical because I, I really didn't want to do Western and UTMB. Um, I didn't think like I'd, I'd be setting myself up for success. And I, uh, the previous year, like I dropped out of Western at Rucky Chucky, um, and it was just haunting me for so long. So I'm like, I need to go back to Western and just get some redemption. So that was like number one on my radar. I waited until, you know, I'd see if I was going to get into Western before I signed up for UTMB. Okay. And I remember the, the like opening 
start window for signing up for UTMB was like the day before Bandera 100K. And my original plan was to try to get a golden ticket at Bandera. Um, and if I wasn't going to get that golden ticket, then I would sign up for UTMB and just have that be my entire focus. So I went and trained really hard for Bandera, did Bandera, got fourth there, missed a golden ticket by two spots. And then that day, like I signed up for UTMB. So that was going to be my focus. And then a lot of people reached out to me, specifically Danny Moreno. And she's like, you should really do canyons. And uh, like it, you know, just give it a shot, whatever. If even if you don't get it, it's just going to be good racing experience for you. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever, I'll do it. And, you know, that largely just just signing up for that race and being like, okay, I can't not try to get a golden ticket here. So, yeah, I went all in for that again. And I ended up getting that golden ticket by like 10 seconds. So I was like, oh, shit. okay, I guess I'm doing the double. Um, But yeah, it was never my intention to do both races. It just turned out that way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, they man, I feel like every year they make getting into UTMB like so hard. Now they have like a like the stone system that is mind boggling to me. I want to talk a little bit about your training for UTMB and Western States in particular, because I know within the last what, like year and a half, you moved from Santa Barbara to uh, the east side to to Mammoth. Um, And I think I just want to talk about it because I'm super envious because I would love to to train out of there. And I uh, yeah, I've seen some of the runs you've put together. I'm like, man, like he's doing it right. But uh, (laughs) there's a reason you go over there. And I think that like, you know, Tim Tolleson has proven that training at a mammoth prepares you really well for for these huge mountain races. So I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about your experience training and living over there and kind of, you know, why you made the move. I moved from San Francisco after COVID hit and everything. Um, and I moved back to Santa Barbara because I was really missing it. But it, you know, I, I didn't know when my company would go back to being in the office and I had to move back to San Francisco. So I felt like I need to take more advantage of this free time than Santa Barbara and go somewhere like I'd never think of living before. So uh, I had a few few friends in Mammoth, my best friend, Austin Nordstrom, who paced me at Western. Um, and then Danny Moreno was also up here. So it like made the transition a little bit easier. And my partner also wanted to move up. So we found a place and our intention was totally just to stay for five months. Oops, like we got sorry. a five month lease. And then we kind of reevaluate and COVID was like starting to die down a little. So we both thought we'd have to go back into the office and everything. So um, we moved up here May of 2021 um, and immediately we was able to fa- find like some incredible friends and community here. Uh, just like all really going to be the best friends in my life. They're, they're such cool people. Um, so that, that very much, drove home wanting wanting to stay here so we looked for another lease after that five month was up and we're just riding that right now but yeah i you know there there's just so much you could do out here and that was the initial draw for me like i I remember that covid summer um of 2020 when it first hit just like working working from home in san francisco and every weekend over the summer driving out to the east side to go like do a new peak or something and I was just like very much falling in love with that lifestyle. And I anticipated that exact type of summer, um, the next summer. So I was like, you know, we're spending so much time just driving back and forth. We should just move up. And it's been really life changing. I I think, I don't think I've camped at all since being here because you could just drive back to to your house after doing a massive day. But um, yeah, I'm really into the, you know, the kind of like scramble peak bagging type of thing. And I really wasn't able to do a ton, ton of that this summer just because training for UTMB. So um, I tried to, you know, have as much fun as I can while running instead of, you know, that kind of slow slog hiking and, and climbing and stuff like that. So um, I'm really into like the big link ups. Like you'll start at one drainage in like Bishop, for example, and then you'll run like up across the JMT past like a ton of peaks and, and lakes and stuff and exit another drainage. Uh, try to hitchhike home if you can, <laughs> you know, like that's the kind of uh, thing you could do out here. And it, it's really incredible. There's no shortage of, of really hard mountains you can run and, and insane, you know, trailheads that take you to spectacular places really. Yeah. This year's yeah. also been um, 
super good in terms of like fire and uh, the amount of snow out there. We're uh, so lucky. Yeah, yeah, it makes all that stuff super possible. And like the JMT <laughs> is such a thoroughfare, you know, like once you hop on that, like I, I've i had to hitchhike a few times from Trailheads and it's never more than like a 20 minute wait. It's yeah. So convenient. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty incredible. I do, uh, you know, it's it, it's so good. Like it, it's so unbelievably good. Um, I, I do kind of miss that, that aspect of like Mount Tam and stuff where you can kind of like, do a ton of loops and link ups and then and like easily come back to the same place. Like a lot of, a lot of the running out here, you're, you're out and backing. If you want to get to the same place, you can't really like do a loop unless you're trying to do like a 70 mile day really. Right. But, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it's really unbeatable. Yeah. I think this. that's yeah. definitely something I've, I've struggled with too, is like in order to get to the good stuff, you have to put in like, 4,000 feet of climbing and that's like, right. all right, well, I can't do that every day, but yeah. I guess, I don't know. I was looking at some of your training leading up to UTMB and you were putting in massive, massive days out there. Talk to me a little bit about like your approach to the UTMB block. Yeah. Um, so I am coach, like I mentioned earlier, uh, my coach is Matt Eisen. He was like a CTS coach for a while, but then, you know, started doing his own thing. He was the coach of the UCSB tri team. And now, um, does like individual coaching, but he, he is like very much the advocate of, um, just really getting out there and like moving slow. It's, it's not very much about like the intervals you do. It's just, you know, he's all about eating and all about fueling and just like learning how to take care of your body and these things. So, um, he doesn't ask of a lot of specificity from me. He's just like, go out and run eight hours or seven hours and, and do what you want. Just have fun with it. And yeah, I was just kind of using that as an opportunity to see places I haven't seen yet. And, or like go back to places that on the JMT that were like more remote for me. Um, but I very much wanted to, to kind of like emulate what it would feel like in the course and stuff like that. And I know the courses of UTMB is very, is, is like a really steep climb, really steep descent straight into another really steep climb. So the the type of mapping I did to, to do that would start with like, like you mentioned, like a 5,000, 6,000 foot climb and then big descent probably down to the JMT and then you're climbing passes from there until you exit. So yeah, I, I think I did uh, to boost pass. If you're familiar with that, oh, yeah. this was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this was my, my favorite day of, of training, but yeah, I did to boost pass, which is a 6,000 foot climb from the Valley floor in like independence and um you take that to the jmt small descent and then you climb pincho pass which is like a 2000 foot climb descend down 3000 feet to glen pass and then you do glen pass which is another 3500 foot climb and then descend a thousand feet <laughs> climb kearsarge which is another 2000 feet and then descend back to onion valley yeah. so that was like a 40 mile day with 13,000 feet of climbing so um yeah. That, and I don't know. It just like felt great. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's very, it's very rare. You could do that and justify it being for training for something. So, um, yeah, yeah. Like usually those days are like, they take you out or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. I was feeling really strong in the block. And then like midweek I do intervals on dragon's back, which is like our, our local climb here. So again, just trying to get that really steep climb in descend for 10 minutes climb again um and just getting that that change in in muscle group and yeah yeah, that's like you mentioned tim tolson earlier that's like all his philosophy it's just try to emulate you know that kind of thing more than more than anything and he's like the the last three climbs the utmb from triant to the finish are uh, or actually no from champagne lock to the finish are just you know, three of those hill reps that we have in our backyard, like literally. So yeah, took that to heart. The guy's a wealth of knowledge. So (laughs) gotta listen to him. Yeah. You're also training like at altitude and like, if you're starting independence, it gets pretty hot down there. Like Taboos is super exposed and Sandy as well. And UTMB is like, I think it, what maxes out at like eight or 9,000 feet. Yeah. I think like 85. Yeah. Yeah. So you must've felt the the altitude training kick in pretty heavily. Oh dude. Yeah. It, it was actually pretty, pretty awesome. Like, you know, it really felt like I was at sea level during the race and, you know, all those like harder intervals 
I was doing, I was doing it at like 10 to 11,000 feet. So, um, just getting down and like, even just like, uh, like you're not running hard, obviously up those climbs, but like hiking through it, it felt really easy, but you could tell like some people were definitely hurting from it and just like very much slowing down. The one thing about the lower altitude though, is that it's so much more humid. Like I was, (laughs) my body was just not used to that. And I was just drenched in sweat, like from mile one, basically, (laughs) but yeah. <laughs> well, they make you carry like so much gear as part of the gear yeah. requirement for that race that I'm sure you had plenty of extra layers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you do most of your training by yourself? I ran with Tim a couple of times, but um, we're just on like completely different schedules and stuff like that. So yeah, I was mostly by myself. Do you listen to music or podcasts or anything like that? Or is it kind of just like mental, mental focus? Yeah, on my really long days... And mainly because, um, I just like, don't want to carry my phone and headphones and stuff like that. I, I, uh, don't listen to anything, but on like interval days and stuff like that, I'll definitely listen to music. What's on the playlist. Oh man. I I was playing it when at UTMB actually, it was, this is the first time I ever listened to music, uh, during a race. And that was just incredible. I'll take you through my playlist right now. I'm pulling it up. Okay. Let's go from top to bottom. Come to Life, Kanye West, Mile High, James Blake, Overdue, Travis Scott, Breathe the Blaze. Oh, man. Sunflower, Post Malone. Dude, just anything yeah. that gets me hyped up. <laughs> I think what's what's cool about that is I've had like similar experiences, um, like listening to, mu- listening to music like on like, long runs or something. Like, yeah. subsequently, when you hear those songs, it'll take you immediately back to that experience. 100%. Which yeah. is super cool. I was so anti it. You know, I, I thought it like wasn't a good ethic to do during races and whatever. But I don't know, whatever pushes you <laughs> truly yeah. yeah yeah i think that like there's like concerns over safety and stuff but i don't know right like, i feel like yeah. utmb is a, a relatively safe safe race yeah. Uh, yeah was that your first like big european race yeah first time i ever left the states to race yeah oh, what was that like compare and contrast the different kind of like cultures because i think that that's uh something that always fascinates me as someone who's never been over there it was, it was very cool just because it brought that many more runners, you know, um, and that made the atmosphere really electric, but yeah, to your point, it's a huge cultural difference. And I don't know if this is just more of a language barrier than anything, but you know, in the States, like you kind of pass someone and they're, they're like all in your corner, your advocate, they're like, you're doing amazing. Keep it up. Yeah. I, I felt like when I'd pass someone, like, first of all, they wouldn't really let me pass, and I was, I was like clearly like trying to pass and, and going further. They'd almost just like uh, try to like speed up a little bit for for less than a minute and then finally like let me pass. And there was no like exchange of like encouragement. I'd be like, you're doing great. Amazing. Let's go. Let's work together. And just like no words back. But again, you know, it could be the language barrier. Who really knows? So I got to say I was a little like shocked by that. But I, it's also kind of funny. I don't, <laughs> people are like smoking cigarettes on the course. And stuff. Nice. So I was like, that's cool. First of all, <laughs> but yeah, that's a, uh, that's a huge difference. And then A stations are a little tougher also when you're like saying what you want and stuff like that. I, I think like I was stuck for a minute, like trying to get soup, but I didn't know what kind of soup I wanted. Or like if they were asking me if I wanted something in my soup or something, I'm like, what? I don't know. I don't know. Just soup, please. <laughs> you know. <Yes. laughs> um, I mean, I, I loved it. It, it. Like it opens your eyes really to like different cultures, and I was, I, I don't know. It was just different, you know. And uh, a huge other thing, and I don't know if this was just UTMB or the culture around all Euro races, but there were just so many spectators also, and they're just like lining the climbs, like giving you like no space, just screaming in your face, like screaming Ole, you know, like all, all very encouraging, but sometimes it's like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Just like, I, I need to focus. I need to like, uh, like I'm hitting you literally. So yeah, all n- n- not bad things, just different things. You know? Yeah. So you yeah. were, you were fifth American. Um, how, how do you, what do you think of that performance? Are you happy with it? Yeah, I, I am. I, so I had like some, some stretch goals. My real goal was just to finish the race. My stretch goal was third American just, and that was just like based on what we've seen from Americans in the past at UTMB. 
So I like really can't be mad about being fifth American. It just means the U.S. really stepped up this year compared to other years. So I didn't hit that goal, but I'm very satisfied with not hitting that goal. I think I do have a better performance in me. Um, I spent like the first 70 miles of the race trying to get this cramp out of my side or stomach, which, yeah, it, it, you know, it was fine because ultimately I feel like just taking that first 70 slow really saved me for the end to go. But I am kind of curious, you know, what would happen if I was able to eat a little bit better and stuff like that. Um, the flip side of that is like, you know, maybe if you felt really good, you would have cooked it and you would have blown up. So I was insanely happy with how I did like the last marathon. And really that's, that's what I wanted to do when I was thinking about this race. I'm like, I just want to run that last 50 K hard, you know, and like past people. So I like, I felt really good at the end. I feel like if there was five more miles, I would have gotten top 20 or so. So, um, yeah, so I, I am hungry for more there. Uh, but I am really happy with how I ended up. Why do you think like American men have kind of maybe not like underperformed, but you know, historically they haven't done as well as like us women at that race. I, I don't know. And like, I'm not expecting you to know either. It's just like, yeah, it's something I think about a lot. Um, because we have all the resources here, you know, we have like huge mountains. Um, Yeah. I thought, I thought the trails also just like, running this year is way more technical right the trails out there so i i don't really see any problem with the course whatsoever like you could definitely get the training in i do and i don't i guess i don't necessarily know how the women race so it's hard for me to make that comparison but i do think american men just are taking it out way too hard yeah and like uh, it's great for for the first 50 miles or whatever it's a core my era we always like have a, a really strong showing up to there but like it, no one's making moves at the end. Um, and I think that's like very much how we race in the U S like uh, no one really who gets into like the top five of Western States is really holding back. And there's not a lot of these mountain races to really practice that whatsoever either. Like we have mountains, but as far as like hundred mile mountain races go, like the, it's really like hard rock, right. More than anything. And, and no one's really doing that double from the U S um, and yeah, it, it, the other mountain races in the U S are just like not really competitive. So people aren't like wasting their energy on that. It's a good point. Um, yeah. So I, I think it is practice more than anything. It's, it's hard to like know how to pace a mountain race if you've never done it versus like feeling super fit for Western and just like being able to have that engine to, to run the whole time. What was, uh, the like travel to and from Chamonix like for you? Like I, I've heard people talk about how one of the dangers of going over there for UTMB is getting uh, bogged down in like the expo and all the festivities and like sponsorship obligations. Um, did you kind of think factor that into to how you approach the race? Yeah, it was draining, no doubt. Um, I think just the crowds are really like they take like an emotional toll on you for sure. And you know, even if you're not doing anything, just like trying to navigate Chimney and stuff, it's like a stressor no doubt and it's a simple equation like more stressors make you more tired right. on race day and stuff so um i yeah i personally didn't love that aspect of having to go out earlier like i uh, racing the u.s is so nice because you could just show up like the day before uh, <laughs> yeah i i adjusted the time change pretty quickly i think i was probably tired for like two days but yeah i felt fine it was on a normal schedule yeah, I, I think the crowds are annoying. Luckily, I don't have a ton of sponsor obligations myself, so I didn't really have that kind of stressor. I did have my parents show up, so that was like, you know, taking them out and doing a tourist day and stuff like that. So ideally, like, I not want to do that thing and I just want to chill, but still a valuable time to have with them regardless. So there are like things that I feel like I could have cleaned up to have a better better performance on the day. But I think the weirdest thing is just this 6 p.m. start time or anything at this race. You just like don't know what to eat during the day. And I think like largely that's why I had that big cramp for so long. Like I, um, I probably ate like something too acidic during the day um, or something like that. And yeah, like literally from mile one, I was just like had this, I felt like a piece of food just stuck in my side. So are you pretty cognizant of, of like what you eat um, in and out of races? Because what did you study in college? 
physiology. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, am I cognizant of what I eat? Like on a, on just a regular day or on no, race day? No, I guess like, yeah. yeah, like race day. Like some people can kind of just like mm-hmm. throw back whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But other people are like more um, aware of like nailing the like 400 calories an hour rule or like stuff like that. Dude, I, I try every time. Like I try to be really methodical about it. And I, it always messes up at some point. Yeah. Um, and then it just turns into whatever the hell goes down my stomach. So it's, it's, I think it's the last, no, there's, you know, I have so much more to learn, but it is the, the most like pressing thing for me to learn in ultra for me to be good is just like the formula that works for me. And I, I think I'm like starting to learn that a little bit more for the longest time. It's like, okay, just eat high carb things to start eat it at like a, a cadence that you're comfortable with, but try to get like 400 calories an hour, 90 carbs an hour. And usually just to make that simple, it's just like sweet things, right. And, and bars and, uh, chews or drink mix. But I get such bad flavor fatigue, like at mile 60, always like I can't, it, my palate is just so blown from all the sugar. And I don't know why I keep trying to do this because it happens every time. So I, I think I want to move to a model where I start with just salty things and, you know, try to try to eat like maybe like baby food or potatoes or something the first bit. And then like when I'm sick of that, then I move to the sweet things to like get me through the race. And a race like UTMB is way easier to do that kind of thing rather than Western States where you're in the heat and you're running at a much higher intensity, like you said. Like that's when digestion gets really tough and it always blows me up more than anything. So yeah, I do have a lot to learn there, but I, I know the formula. <laughs> I know what's going to sit well with me. It, and this goes back to like the practice thing. It's just so hard to practice because when are right. you out running a hundred miles, right? On a normal basis. And you really don't get to that point until you're at like mile 70. So even doing like a hundred K you can get away with, with stuff in my opinion. So yeah, my, my coach and I have discussed trying to do a hot low key hundred before I go try to attempt Western States again. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I raced a lot this year and I like, I'm, I feel okay, you know, but I can't imagine doing another hundred. It's going to feel super great. So uh, trying to assess what I want to do, but we've thought about doing the Porta Vallarta hundred mile. Cool. It's like, you know, actually a really good Western simulation is kind of net down, has a very equal amount of elevation gain and you're in like 90 degrees around that time in Mexico. So yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like out of anyone that I know, you would be able to like handle the volume. Um, <laughs> Thanks, man. But, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. speaking of volume, I know you have like a full-time job. Um, mm-hmm. How do you balance that with running? Yeah, it, it works somehow. I, I sometimes question that too, but <laughs> um, I, I do most of my running after work. As, like I feel, I feel way better at the end of the day versus the beginning of the day. Um, if I have to double, you know, I'll do stuff in the morning, but, um, yeah, I, you know, my job, they're very understanding. Everyone knows what I do at, at work. So there's no secret there. And my manager is just incredibly, um, you know, a huge advocate for me in my running. Um, we actually even have another Western States finisher who works at our company. So it's like, it's kind of cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, you know, I sign off at, you know, five at the latest and, and go out and do my training. And it, it's not really hard for me to get motivated to do it. Like I'm looking forward to it all day. And I think like, that's the biggest key, at least for me, it's just like being, being stoked on the sport and, um, you know, wanting to put in a hundred miles a week and, you know, having those goals. And I, I attribute that largely to my coach. It's just like making the training fun for me versus doing maybe what he think would be best in, you know, training physiology theory. Right. Yeah. Do you think having a job kind of helps keep that stoke alive? Do you think you'd go insane if you, if you ran full time? (laughs) Yeah, I definitely do. I I think I would attribute way too much of my self-worth and value into my results if I didn't have something else in my, in my life, especially like if I was, you know, living off um, performance bonuses and stuff like that. And yeah, it, it, running is that important to me. Like I, I treat it like that. I, there's a lot that comes with that, you know, boosts me up and, and makes me the person I am because of running. 
that, you know, my job doesn't necessarily give me, but just that stability. It's really nice to know that, you know, I could take a year off if I wanted to and still be able to, you know, get by really well. So yeah. And it just makes me feel like I have more purpose too, even though like (laughs) I go back and forth on like what's real and what's not like, is, is my job life real or is my running life real versus the other? But uh, yeah, it's, it's a great balance to have. And, um, you know, at least lets me use my brain also at work. So <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. think your, your brain will probably last longer than, than your uh, peak <laughs> yeah. athletic performance. Um, exactly. But yeah, no, I, that that's kind of like gets into what I, I've been thinking a lot about. And I know I've seen you write about this about like, what do you do when people like say that like, Oh, running's your hobby. It's like, yeah, I guess it's like technically a hobby. Cause I am not, it's not my like profession in some cases, but I feel like that kind of like belittles it, especially considering like how much energy and time you put into running. Yeah, I don't mind. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's like a good place to be with it. I don't need anyone to validate it for me, I feel like. And I, I really don't like people think of me as a runner when people think Rod, they think oh, Rod runs. I don't know if I necessarily love that. But it at least like makes them realize that it is more than a hobby for me. Um, and it truly is like a passion. I think some people think I do it full time. I think a lot of people don't know that I have a job also just at, at the level that I feel like I'm doing it. So um, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. I, I I'm happy to call it a hobby. Like if, if this is a hobby for me. I think everyone should have a hobby and I think everyone should go all in with it. Like the world is just a better place when you're doing your quote unquote hobby at, you know, this level of passion. So I think it makes it more digestible for people and makes people also be like, I, you know, I, I also have a hobby that I could go all into versus like, that's Rod's full thing. You know, I I will never love something that much. You don't necessarily have to love it that much. If you're qualifying it as a hobby, just go, you know, do it and do your best at it. Yeah. No, that's a great perspective. Just, yeah. I won't call you a hobby jogger, though. <laughs> you can, man. You can. <laughs> um, before we get out of here, I want to touch on two things. I want to hear just a brief synopsis of your JMT FKT last year. Um, mm. How did you kind of approach uh, a challenge of that magnitude? Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever planned for something quite as much. It, you know, I, it like first came to my mind probably 10 months prior before I went into it. So um, really studied like everything, like all these maps and everything like that. I I love doing things with people. Like I feel like I could have gone unsupported and it would have gone fine. But for me, like these, these things, these hundred miles and um, you know, long, long days in the mountains, they're just so much better with friends. So I wanted to do it supported and just, you know, have people come out and join me and stuff like that. So I, it was, it was a really cool thing, just being able to travel that long all day, see that much, uh, and then go like see a friend at a checkpoint and then have them push you along. Uh, I think there, you know, I, I went for the easy, the easy way, quote unquote, right. Because there aren't like that many fast times, um, going that way. So I, I like, I knew as long as I'd be able to finish, I'd, you know, be able to get the FKT. So that was kind of like a nice thing. And it very much just like allowed us to have like a chiller time out there. Like my friends would come out and join and we'd just like kind of mess around and, and hike when probably should have been running at points and stuff like that. So it was just, it was just an incredible experience. I like had a ton of lows, like having that, I've never gone like that long without sleeping and stuff like that. And was just taking a small nap. So I think like the sleep deprivation was the number one thing. I also like very much remember having heartburn the entire time. I don't remember from what or what happened, but like, oh my God, that was just a killer. But yeah, I, you know, I'm really happy about this, but I think that after I went for it last year and like put up like a decent time, more people have come in and started doing it. I think Joe Stringbean, um, he just, beat the time while going unsupported which is awesome and then some other guy i think his name's jeff just beat it like last week beat joe's time by 10 minutes (laughs) so it's like getting more competitive and i want to go do it now and like really be focused you know i i don't feel like i left a lot of time on the table while going for it it's hard to like you know motivate yourself to go and, and do something like that again but i'm feeling pretty inspired I'm also feeling like really inspired by racing. So I, I don't know when I kind of have that time to do it or like put that kind of energy into it. 
I think at the time I was like not really into racing and it was kind of, it was COVID times and, and stuff like that. So I, it was nice to focus my attention on that, but yeah, definitely expect me to, to go for it again, maybe unsupported this time. So speaking yeah. of racing, are we going to see you back at the quad this year? Quad Dipsy? Dude, I want to. Um, yeah, I'll be home for Thanksgiving. And like we mentioned earlier, I, my parents are from Moraga. So it's, you know, that local race. I don't see why not. And it's always so fun. Like, I love the SFRC guys. I love seeing you guys. So I don't know if I'll be in quite the shape. Last year, I was in a very heavy training block for Bandera. So I was in really good shape for that. Um, but yeah, I I think if I'm there, I might as well go do it. So <laughs> I just want to see that course yeah. record fall. Same, man. Just so I, I can give Alex Varner some shit for it. <laughs> I know. It's quite stout. Oh, my God. You were within, what, like five minutes? I think seven minutes. Yeah. That's nuts on which, that course. Which is like two minutes per Dipsy, which is pretty wild to think about. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so aside from that, what else do you have planned for the rest of the year? Uh, chilling. Yeah. Chilling. I, <laughs> yeah, I had a long probably. Um, I, you know, like I mentioned, I might do the Ports Valier to 100 mile just as practice. Like, I, I don't expect to necessarily like my my intention is not to go compete it's just to practice feeling in a hot environment largely like i I really i really also just want to shut it down um and i think it'd probably be best for me to shut it down so i'll have to have that conversation with my coach and kind of understand but i will be doing the 26k at tim's tolson's race oh cool mammoth trail fest yeah uh you know just out there supporting tim not necessarily (laughs) trying to go super hard we'll see how my body feels and yeah, maybe I'll do quad. And from there, like, I guess, scheming ways to get into Western States. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Well, yeah. uh, yeah. Thanks for, for coming on. I really enjoy this convo. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Really. Uh, first time we actually talked for a long time. I know. You're, yeah. <laughs> you're the man. And last time you had just, uh, you had just, yeah, won the quad and we're probably not feeling all that well. <laughs> no, nah, I was feeling great, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Well, we'll catch up okay. soon. Yeah. Sounds right. good, man. I'll see you soon. Yeah. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Rod for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from everyone here at Blister, Please take good care of yourself, keep moving forward, and we'll talk to you again next week.